0: Evening, good evening everyone. Um, It's great to be here. Thanks so much Dave for inviting me and Glenn for the worship so far. Uh, Particularly the last um, verse of the the last hymn there um, really speaks into what I I want to share a little bit with you tonight. Um, It's great to be back among family. It's brilliant to look down and recognise so many people and I'm really thrilled to be back here tonight. For those of you who don't know me, uh, and f- still for those who do, I'm David Smith. Um, my background is in law. Um, I now work for the Evangelical Alliance, and I work in the space where law and politics and faith and culture uh, meet, and I love it. Um, and tonight I'm going to share something with you that I use to help me make sense of what uh, we say in this space, and we all live in this space, so hopefully there's something useful here tonight. Uh, It's over a year since Jude and I left Windsor, and we still think of you really often. And in that time, we've had a baby girl, uh, Maeve. uh, uh, Maeve Cara Joy, for those who want to know. And um, there she is. So she's six months old, um, and I'll move on quickly. Um, Tonight, I'm going to be talking about Christian intersections in the public square. Sounds a bit technical. I have some slides and I have a diagram which some of you who think very visually might connect with. Um, But if that's not you and it's not helpful and it's a distraction rather than a help, please just ignore it. Um, It sounds really abstract and academic, Christian intersections in the public square. It's really not. It's about how we as Christians live distinctive lives in Northern Ireland in 2014. Right to start let me give you a one line summary of what i'm going to talk about then what we believe about where we've come from and where we're going affects what we believe and what we do in the here and now Uh, i'll repeat that what we believe about where we've come from and where we're going affects how we uh, what we believe and how we act and what we do in the here and now okay here's a headline from the belfast telegraph on the day that me was born just six months ago. We live in a bigoted, regressive hole. No gay marriage, no gay or unmarried adoption, draconian abortion laws. And in fact, in a number of headlines and comments that I've heard recently, I've noticed Northern Ireland being described as backward, stuck in the dark ages, behind the times. Now, in some ways, maybe you agree. Maybe there's certain things that you'd like to see changed here, like me. But the implication is always that society's views of certain issues like abortion or same-sex marriage are the test of how progressive that society is, whatever progress means. And so what's what's behind this worldview? What core beliefs shape these headlines? Where do these values come from? And so I suppose the question I'm starting with, what is the prevailing worldview that we see around us every day in Northern Ireland in 2014, or more broadly, a Western worldview that we see every day around us. Well to start with one of the difficulties of a postmodern age is a lack of coherency. There's not one single worldview out there. So these are just a few generalized strands which I see running through 21st century Western thinking and culture. And I'm sure you'll recognise some of them. Let's start. God is dead, or more precisely, he he never existed. Science has won that argument. Perhaps at the very best, he has no place in the public square. Faith should be be firmly kept private. We have random beginnings. There's no plan or or purpose to our existence. Life began as a random cosmic accident. Human beings are a species of, of animal, randomly evolved cells which have no inherent value or dignity or worth over and above a mushroom or a squirrel or an ape. Any value or dignity or purpose that we do have as humanity, we give to ourselves. Now, at at some point, perhaps out of social contract or to avoid anarchy or to further the species, we decided that human life was worth protecting up to a point. But again, any value we accord to humanity is a product of our, of our own imagination and our self-imposed laws. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying the people with this worldview, like some members of my, my own family, that they just see each other, their, their family and friends, as random collections of cells with no inherent purpose or value or dignity. You know, the world's not void of love and compassion and humanity. Of course not. But I would argue that these beliefs about random beginnings the random beginnings of humanity, of earth, and of our purpose, um, shape somewhere in the background our ethical considerations of society. And so morality, right, wrong, truth, in this postmodern world, well, there are no absolutes. There's no God above us to say to us as humans what's right or what's wrong, so we decide for ourselves. At best, we have a few shared values based on our humanity. For example, the European Convention on Human Rights, which was enshrined to give human beings inalienable rights accorded to them, but still accorded under human law. Now, I'm not saying this is all bad. I'm a lawyer and I value human rights and their basis, but I'm just pointing out the lack of natural or higher law in the prevailing worldview around us. Okay, we, we've looked a little bit at beginnings what about endings I would say the prevailing worldview is that death is the end this life is is all there is there's no ultimate um, eternal life or moral judge or accountability or ultimate justice beyond this life if something happens to me and I get justice in this life well that's good but if not well sorry but that's tough So ultimately, there's a mood that individual choice reigns supreme. We can do what we like as long as we're prepared to face the consequences of human law anyway. So our best hope is maybe humanism or shared humanity as a species. If we're all a little nicer to each other and can agree some core values, things might work out better. Which is a nice idea, but it fails by underestimating the selfishness in the fall of human nature we have agnosticism which asks us to place our faith in doubt or we have nihilism which asserts that the world has no meaning and attempts to find any meaning are pointless so there's not much hope in the current prevailing worldview for this life or for the next and you'll pick up i'm no philosopher i'm being a little bit tongue-in-cheek here uh, and, and I hope you pick, pick that up. Um, I, individualism, buy consumerism, stuff, materialism. I buy stuff. Not many people would admit this is their worldview, but think just a little deeper, and they might concede that they understand the basic concepts of global poverty and economic injustice. But to be honest, they work hard, and they save hard, And if they had just a slightly bigger house, a slightly newer car, and could retire comfortably, well, they'd be quite happy. Rights are also really important. Responsibility, not so much. Personal rights currently trump corporate responsibility. And so relationships are being pressurised and changed by these ideas around consumerism and individualism and rights relationships are currently a free market with very few boundaries perhaps consent and harm are a push okay that's the end of the big words so cutting through this starting with a radically different concept and heading in a radically different direction and ending in a radically different place is the judeo-christian worldview here concepts of identity and relationship of equality of truth, of justice, of freedom, are radically different. Let me just say this, though. Christianity is not just a worldview, a set of beliefs or morals. It's always been about the radical transformation of identity and of relationships. And so to use six words to bounce through the big story of the Bible, creation, corruption, covenant, Christ, church, consummation, uh, I have a book which I lifted those from, I'm not that smart, um, which I can give you at the end. Um, but let's, let's, let's go through. We start in a radically different place, creation. However we interpret the first three chapters of Genesis, we can see so much that is core to our faith and to our worldview. In the beginning, I encourage you to go and read Genesis 1-3 to this evening. In the beginning God created this is deliberate, it's not random, it's not an accident. He brought order out of chaos and something out of nothing. God is relational, three and one, and his very core and his essence, he is a God of relationship. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And straight away, Genesis 1 to 3, we see relationship between God and humanity, between humanity and creation, between humanity. And we see wholeness in shalom and with that we see the most amazing thing we can grasp that we are made in the image of god humanity has value because we are made in the image of god grasshoppers aren't trees aren't but man is every single person has intrinsic worth because we are made in the image of god we are all divine image bearers that is why we care about people and about life, this is why we care about abortion and euthanasia, about the welfare and well being of others, our neighbor, and even our enemies, because each one is made in the image of God. We find our true identity when we find God because we're made in His image. We see purpose, we see dominion, we see God given authority, we see a mandate to care for the earth and everything in it. We see God's providence, we see land. And food and everything we have are gifts from Him. Life is not about what we own and what we consume. We see work as a good gift from God from before the fall. We also see rest established by God as part of a healthy rhythm of life. We see social order, family formed by marriage and children from that marriage, leaving parents and craving to spouse, boundaries for sexual relationship within the context of a man and a woman we see god-given boundaries set upon the physical earth and god-given boundaries set upon humanity's behavior we see created order in his commands to do certain things and not to do others don't worry the next five words are much quicker Um, But creation and our views around creation are really important and we need to know our story if we're to live in the world differently So, moving from creation onto corruption, sin, the fall, and the effects of sin, broken identity and broken relationships with God, with each other, with creation, and within ourselves, things like shame and guilt. Again, we see core principles that shape our worldview. As I said, we believe in God given boundaries for our life on earth. We believe in sin, we believe in a breaking of these boundaries. That that is wrong. We believe in right. We believe in the ultimate authority of God, and that sin has consequences, which flow from breaking these boundaries. We believe in the deceiver. We believe in Satan. We do not believe that right and wrong, or morality in general, is a human invention. This all sounds really elementary to the Christians sitting in this room, but remember, it's fanciful at best, and offensive and repressive at worst. To believe in sin in today's prevailing worldview okay next one covenant really quickly covenant reminds us that god is faithful even when we are not that his purposes will work themselves out across time and place according to his will that there's a whole other agenda at play here and i don't have time to do the whole concept of covenant justice but just to say the covenant of god marked his people out as his people it gave them a new identity and again new relationships covenant is all about identity and relationships and you'll see those words coming through again and again in the big picture of the bible christ jesus the king who died for his kingdom his message was often repent for the kingdom of god is near through faith and repentance we receive transformed identity and transformed relationships People are no longer defined by their politics, by their nationality, by their ethnicity, by their social status, but by a new relationship with God. God redeeming identity and relationships that have been broken by sin. So Jesus restores all those relationships. The greatest commandment, love God and love others. Love our neighbor, love our enemies. He restores those broken relationships we even have with ourselves. Our selfishness, our sinfulness. He gives us new identities, royal identities as sons and daughters of the king. He restores the dominion that we were given in Genesis 1 to 3. We have power and authority again in Jesus' name. He claims that he will return to judge the earth, that he will bring justice for all wrongs committed, that he will end sickness and death. And these are huge claims and vastly different from the prevailing beliefs around life and death, as I was talking about, and around justice as well. And so church, where we find ourselves tonight, we follow on from the ascension um, to Pentecost. uh, And we we see as we follow the text, as I say, from from ascension to Pentecost, the spreading of the good news, the conversion of Paul and the first disciples becoming missionaries. We see the foundational gospel message preached And we see people coming to believe and to commit their lives to the way and the truth and the life of Christ. We see churches established throughout the Near East. We read in the New Testament letters about miracles and victories, about people coming to faith, about acts of kindness and welcome. And we also read about difficulties that they had around moral behaviour in the church, around discipline and around disunity that sound familiar to us today. And so we, the church, Christ's followers, we see things in a different way, a better way. Today we carry truth in a world of lies. We carry love in a world of hate. Eternity in a society that is transient. We are kingdom pioneers who reclaim and redeem broken things. Who challenge a culture that says you are what you consume and your worth is in what you earn. We, the church, are a countercultural economy, and we use the powerful currencies of faith and hope and love. We're ambassadors of restoring identity and renewing relationships. And so, this is where we find ourselves tonight, church, in the space between Christ and consummation. And so, um, Christ's return, consummation we've jumped through the big story of the Bible at a frightening and probably a silly rate. From creation, the reoccurring works of God in the story, um, from the garden to the city, we see freedom out of bondage, we see abundance in the desert, we see flourishing in exile, and we see Jesus, we see life from death, and now and ultimately heaven to earth, the reconciliation of all things in Christ. And so we look forward as Christians to a future judgment, but with that justice, hope, peace, joy, eternal life, completely restoring identity and completely restored relationships. And so we have hope, death is not the end. And so, going back to the phrase that we used at start, what we believe about where we've come from and where we're going will affect what we say and what we believe in the here and now. And that's true of the world around us and what may believe generally about the beginnings and about endings but also as christians sitting here tonight we believe in a radically different worldview we start in a radically different place and we're going to a radically different place as well And, and so what about this image what about this this image here this intersection what's striking about it it's a cross and i would say that the intersection is key incarnation is the fundamental intersection jesus is right here this is the public square politics health education social media the everyday interactions and conversations we have in work where our lives cross the lives of others Uh, and so every day in our lives our story as kingdom carriers cuts across the prevailing narrative There's common ground, common experience, and there's opportunities every day to speak and to act the transformational incarnation of Jesus in this space. This is evangelism. This is apologetics. This is salt and light Christian witness. This is faith in the public square. This is Christian interaction with the world around us. Now, it's a complicated space, and it's really difficult and I'm going to earth it in a few um, practical examples just to help us think through what does this look like whenever we come to a few contentious issues in the world today. Most people around us would say they value things like equality and justice and truth and freedom. But our understanding of these concepts is vastly different. The world seeks equality, but without recognising Christ and the cross as the great equaliser in whom there is no Greek or Jew or slave or free or male or female. The world seeks justice without recognising the judge of all the earth. The world seeks truth and freedom, but it's inherently subjective and self-serving, failing to recognise Christ, who is truth, and by whose truth we are set free. So when it comes to the big conversations in society, sometimes we jump into the debate too quickly without fully appreciating just how different our starting points and our end points are. It's like we miss each other in the debate because we're talking a different language. It's important to have our biblical framework clear when it comes to thinking and to acting uh, to pressing issues. And so as I say I'm going to explore just two issues in my remaining time. The first is abortion. It's quite a A complex issue obviously and it's quite pertinent to northern ireland where our law is quite different to the rest of the uk and so i'm going to look at abortion through this lens quickly the prevailing western worldview is that life began by chance i would say we're a random collection of cells as I say no different to animals human life has no intrinsic value or purpose other than what we as humanity give to it individual choice reigns supreme No outside moral framework um, says that abortion is wrong. If we decide it's right, it's right. Now, again, just to um, put this out there, I'm not saying that people who don't believe in God don't love and don't suffer grief and that these decisions aren't incredibly difficult. I'm not saying that this worldview is even acknowledged by themselves in their reasoning, that they start with this idea that we're just cells and that death's the end. Most people don't think of those things day to day, especially in the midst of a really difficult crisis pregnancy. But it often lies unarticulated in the background of debate whenever we're talking about these matters in public. And in stark contrast to the, the Christian worldview. It begins with the creator intentionally creating life and human beings as the high point of creation made in the image of God. People are made for relationship, mother, father, baby. Because people bear something of God's identity, they are endowed with inherent value and dignity and purpose. And so our starting point is that life is a gift given through procreation or co-creation with our creator God. The Lord gives and the Lord takes life away. As I say, the law in Northern Ireland is really different. We don't have the 1967 Abortion Act here. In Northern Ireland, termination of pregnancies are unlawful unless they are performed in good faith only for the purpose of preserving the life of the woman. The life of the woman has been uh, interpreted by the courts as including her physical and, in extreme circumstances, her mental health. Some stats just to compare the rest of the UK with Northern Ireland. There's roughly around 190 to 210 thousand abortions every year in um, Scotland England and Wales sorry in in Scotland um, sorry in England and Wales every year since the 1967 act came in there have been seven million abortions that's the population of Scotland and Northern Ireland combined in England and Wales today for every four children born one is aborted in England and Wales today 90% of um, potential Down syndrome babies are aborted. Once parents find out that they are going to have a Downs baby, 90% choose to have that baby aborted. Um, We've heard headlines recently uh, about sex-selective abortions as well, um, especially in, in some cultures, but happening in England and Wales, where females are being aborted because parents want males. And then a story... Just to highlight how real some of this is, um, just from last month in the Daily Telegraph, it was reported that um, the remains of 15,000 babies were incinerated, some to fuel hospital heating systems. Now, I don't raise this lightly. It's a shocking story, and it's so shocking that the health minister in England and Wales immediately called for a ban of the practice of incinerating aborted babies. Now, it's here in this moment that there's an ironic dilemma for those who would advocate abortion on demand. I would say if life is not accorded the dignity of humanity humanity, while it's still alive, then why should it be accorded the dignity of humanity in death? Why shouldn't it be treated as clinical waste? Either it's a life and it should be treated as a life, or it isn't and we shouldn't be offended when it's treated as medical waste. And so i going to raise the question whose justice whose equality are we talking about in society these days we as christians take a different view we affirm the value of each person as someone made in the image of god we seek the well-being and the flourishing of mother father and child justice requires more and better um, pregnancy crisis interventions to help the most vulnerable It requires better relationships education so people choose at the outset to form better and lasting relationships they actively decide to become parents rather than sliding into it the god story has always been about moving from despair to hope from slavery to freedom from lies to truth from injustice to justice and from death to life why would the world around us think it's any different when we speak in the public square about abortion let me move on just to one other issue Um, and then I think I'm pushing time for any questions but I have been tongue-in-cheek tonight and maybe raised generalizations I've been a little bit flippant dealing with some issues that maybe aren't as black and white as I'm portraying I'm just making a point if you want to talk to me after please do come and have a conversation about any of these issues one more issue that's really pertinent in northern ireland today the bible calls it an abomination it's sinful and it's offensive to god the bible says god opposes those who practice it it's rife in northern ireland especially in politics and i say in this room we've all been guilty of it at times what am i talking about Uh, i'm talking about pride Proverbs 16.5 states, everyone who has pride in heart is an abomination to the Lord. So why have I started talking about pride? Simply to remind myself and all of us that whenever we come to the issue of same-sex marriage, whether we come from a biblical point of view or otherwise, we need to be humble, carefully holding intention, our conviction, and our compassion. If we choose to use the, the language of abomination, We start with ourselves and our own pride. The issue of same-sex marriage is so sensitive because it goes right to the heart of people's identity and their relationships and their beliefs and they're important to all of us. God made us every person precious in his sight and he made us for a relationship with him and with others, family, friends, marriages. Our identity is about much more than our sexuality and it's harmful to reduce human beings down to a simplistic label of gay. However, this is not just about the redefinition of marriage. I would say this is about the redefinition of equality itself. I am pro-equality, I'm pro-freedom, I'm pro-diversity, but I'm not in favour of same-sex marriage. I find the language and the, the fundamental premise behind equal marriage deeply offensive, that somehow my marriage is an inequality which must be corrected. Redefinition means marriage becomes make believe. Concepts and language like marriage and husband and wife become divorced from reality. Like the Emperor's new clothes, many have fallen for the fairy tale and are too embarrassed to admit that at the end of the parade, there's nothing of substance there. If same sex couples require more legal protection in terms of their relationships, well, that's one conversation but redefining marriage for everyone isn't the answer and it's not equality. The prevailing worldview is that there's absolute freedom in sexual relationships as long as a very few rules are kept, that the relationship is consensual and between adults and does not cause harm. These seem to be the very few boundaries that Western um, worldviews have put around sexual relationships. The Orthodox Christian Worldview traces the basic concept of marriage consistently from Genesis to Revelation as a man and a woman faithfully committed in sexual union. The intentional creation of a public relationship from which any new life is procreated. Now, the political parties who support same sex marriage locally are at pains to show that they would protect churches and allow them to continue to define and to practice marriage as they wish and while this concession is genuinely offered it fundamentally misrepresents the nature of the church and the objections that most christians have about same-sex marriage christianity is not just about protecting the club we have a mandate which extends far beyond the porch door our biggest fear is not that pastors may be forced to conduct same-sex weddings from my experience I don't think many Baptist pastors will do anything contrary to their conviction. Christians obviously attribute many additional spiritual and covenantal significance. I'm losing it, Many additional spiritual and covenantal significances to the legal union of marriage. But Christians have always understood marriage as being a relationship common to humanity. It's a foundational building block for the flourishing of everyone. In society, even for the benefit of those who can't marry or who choose not to marry. Same sex marriage essentially divorces any value of genetic parenthood and the natural family from marriage. It is in seeking to be faithful to scripture that we voice concern for the well being of everyone in society for future generations that we speak out on this issue. Listen, I've spoken enough, but finally, back to the headline northern ireland is being cast as a regressive backwater for not implementing same-sex marriage for not allowing abortion in demand and in our response to the troubles to name a few things and believe me i could talk about the conflict here or the troubles for another hour but i won't to change this narrative it's incumbent upon us as church to act with humility to build the best marriages we can to care for the orphan and the widows the elderly and the homeless practically to open our doors to all and to raise our children to respect life freedom of conscience family and community for generations to come we speak and act differently here and now because we start in a radically different place and we're heading to a radically different glory thanks so much